So I want to talk to you guys with the time I have left about being a disciple. Now, really, this came out of last week. How many people were here last week at New Life Sunday? That was incredible. We had over 470-some people in this room over the course of three services. We baptized 12 people in water. We had new members. We had child dedications. God is doing some incredible things. But I want to just kind of press into the idea of being a disciple, okay? So when you think about a disciple, it's the process from conversion to maturity, to multiplication. Someone who's following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and someone who's committed to the mission of Jesus. I want to show you a scripture verse. It's a well-known scripture verse. Matthew 28, 19 says this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. I uh, saw that there was a book that came out in the year 2000, well beyond your years. In the year 2000, it was called Bowling Alone by Robert Putnam. And the, the subtitle to that was The Collapse and Revival of American Community. He had done a lot of different studies on the fact that we've become disconnected from family, friends, neighbors, and even our democratic structures. And imagine this was before social media. From 1980 to 1993, they found that the number of bowlers was up 10%. But the number of people involved in leagues was down 40%. There's the decline of associational living. Bowling, teams, unions, rotary. Now, we, we see this, and this was all before social media, but all social media has done has exacerbated the issue. <laughs> all that COVID did was exacerbate the issue. Now, even with our educational programs, you got all kinds of options now. I mean, it used to be public school, private school, homeschool. Now you got everything in between, and, and, and you got all these different opportunities, right? And, and I'm not saying one is better than another or anything like that, but, but we've decided to start to kind of break out our categories a lot more when it comes to schools. My kids, for example, they go the whole way up to Mannheim Central. We live in Columbia. Yeah, Tell me how that makes sense. And so when we bought the house, my daughter was just being born, and we thought, well, we've got some years to figure it out. It takes us 25 minutes to drive by car to their school. We passed Donegal High School to get there. So we looked into what it would be like to change our kids' school, to go, and we have to pay the taxes. Well, if I had that kind of money, they'd be going to private school. <laughs> So, you know, there's just things that you have to try to decide and when it comes to our education and things like that. There's a menu of options that are out there, but it makes it hard to make commitments. Think about that for a second. Have you ever been to one of those restaurants that you have like a big menu and there's something like it's like so hard to choose? Has anybody else been in that boat? Maybe it's just me. But I'm telling you, it's like sushi and like pulled pork barbecue. You're like, I, I, I don't know what I'm hungry. Am I even hungry anymore? You know, like you're trying to decide, but picture what our students are dealing with when it comes to social media. Swipe, I don't want that. Swipe, I want that. Yes, like, swipe, like, swipe, like. Think about that in the dating scene. Ooh. Do you remember? I mean, maybe you don't, but when there wasn't social media, when you had to actually go see somebody, and run into them. Now there's a menu of options. Swipe, yeah. Swipe, ooh. 
It, it's a total, I mean, think about the, the amount of options that we have. There's less social involvement and less public trust. Our students, they show up to a party and a lot of them, they're just on their phones. No offense. See, I said you were gonna have to, I'm sorry. But even yesterday, we were at youth convention and I'm looking around the room. There's thousand kids there and they're all looking at phones and things like that. Like, you know, they're literally in the room with people, but they're not in the room. And I'm not against those things, but I do have to say the nature of discipleship has to include other people. It's the nature of discipleship. You have to be involved with other people to be discipled. That's the reality. But what we see in our structure, in our environment, is the intensification of individualism. The belief that while the world may change and outward circumstances may change, our ability to continue pursuing our personal desires, plans, and patterns won't be affected. We were already becoming tribal, but now we have radical individualism. We went from marketing groups, like you would market a company, right? The name of a company, to marketing ourselves. Think about this. I mean, it used to be like this was your business, but now all of our websites are people's names. We're marketing ourselves. And I'll be honest, church, we're marketing our children. I just wonder when, when our kids grow up at the point where they're gonna have to look back at all the pictures you posted of them and have to live with that. I, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not against those things, okay? I post my kids' pictures like, hey, kindergarten, right? So, it's all those kinds of things, but I'm just saying that the reality is we've gone from that marketing all these groups and being part of different groups to this radical individualism, like I'm my own person, I'm unique, you don't tell me what to do. And we see that on the right and the left when it comes to politics. But now, instead of you failing, you've become a failure because you're marketed. Now, instead of being successful, you, you're a success. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times when people come to me as a pastor, it's like, wow, you're, you're really successful. Why? Because you see the, the number in the church? Is that what success is? And we have to decide, like, because we're all marketing. We're marketing everything. So there's virtue signaling, there's proving where you've been and, and who you've been with. And here's the reality, everybody has a voice. Everybody has a microphone now. Everybody's got a megaphone. But this happened before. In fact, this happened when they had the Gutenberg Press. Alistair McGrath talks about this. With the advent of printing, books became more widely available and now lay well within the reach of economically empowered middle class. Lay people were beginning to think for themselves and no longer regarded themselves as subservient to the clergy in matters of Christian education. We're in a period just like this again. Everybody has access. Content is everywhere. We're all being discipled by somebody. TikTok, this discipling you. The news, it's discipling you. You have to choose who you let disciple you. I'm gonna say that again. You have to choose who you let disciple you. If your ratio of secular ideas to Jesus' truth is 20 to one, it's gonna have a corrosive effect on your faith. Even the most committed believer will consume only a fraction of information and input from their church compared to what they consume from podcasts, YouTube, and Netflix. That's really our primary formational environment. 
Think about that for a second. Donald Mostrom said this, the human drive is for personal sovereignty, the desire to be without accountability to any other person. But we've allowed radical individualism to affect how we view the church and scriptures. I'm gonna give you an example. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, very well-known passages of scripture where it talks about the spiritual gifts in the church. Talks about spiritual gifts, and then chapter 13 talks about love and how we have to have love. And if we don't have that, we're a resounding gong. And then it says in uh, 14, chapter 14, like order in worship. And I wanna read you a passage of scripture. 1 Corinthians 12, four to six. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, what we've done with this, understandably, is we have spiritual gifts tests. We have personality tests. What's, what, how unique are you? What gifts do you have? How can we use you, right? What, what, and we've done that, and, and not that those things are bad. It's important to understand those things, but let me just remind you, that's not why he wrote this portion of scripture. To give an exhaustive list of all kinds of gifts, the reason why he wrote this portion of scripture is because they were using all their gifts all how they wanted to, and he was trying to say, but it's the same God. There should be unity there should be something happening where we realize that's the Holy Spirit. And so what we've done, and, and uh, trust me, I've, I'm in pastoring, okay? I've read the books, right? Like uh, Rick Warren's book, you know, he talks about shape, spiritual gifts, uh, heart, ability, personality, experience, all great things. And let me just tell you the good thing. You're unique. Let me just tell you the bad thing. You're unique, <laughs> right? So your uniqueness is absolutely important. You have God's fingerprint on your life, and there is no one else like you, but let's not allow the radical individualism to weave its way into the church. Don't let your personality be the driving factor of your discipleship. I'm going to say that again because I just want to make sure you heard that. Don't let your personality be the driving factor of your discipleship. See, what many people do is they just add some Jesus on top of what they already know instead of being transformed, which leads to self-expression in the church through consumption. Have you ever heard somebody say, the church is not giving me what I want? Can I remind you, the church is not a product or a program. It's a people. The church is not a product or a program. It's not just meant for consumption. And a lot of people have different opinions about discipleship or, or they have the magic bullet theory. I, I, maybe because I'm a pastor, you know, they do these algorithms online. And so I get those things. Grow your church to over 200 with one easy step. Really? Have you ever met people? <laughs> right? It's like, this is, oh, you take our growth track, the one, two, three, four, you will be a missional disciple in no time. Can I tell you? It takes time. It's not that simple. There is no magic bullet to discipleship. But what it does involve is people. Discipleship involves people. You can't be a Lone Ranger Christian or you're not being a Christian. And so I'm not just saying this because we're having signing day and you should sign up for life groups, absolutely. But I'm not here to force you or pressure you. What I am saying is, what is your picture of discipleship? 
what does it include? You know, because what we've done is we've read some of these scriptures and we've looked at them and then we've tried to kind of fit it into our personality. But I'll be, I'll be honest, sometimes I'll read some scripture but like, that ain't me. But maybe I should go, oh, that, that isn't me. You know, I realize we live in, a, in an area that is not necessarily unchurched, but de-churched. Do you know what I mean? Uh, for example, I could throw a stone right now and hit three other churches. You probably passed 16 on your way in, but you came here to the backside of the wilderness to Riceville. But, but I, I'm, let's be honest, like, there's all kinds of options out there. Most likely, even if you were far from God, like, I, I ran far and far and far, I, you know, rebellious, you know, drugs, alcohol, all those kinds of things. Yet, my mom tried to bring me up in a Catholic church, and, and uh, so, but at least I knew about church. So even if you're far away from church, nobody in your family has ever gone to church, all those kinds of things, you've at least heard the name Jesus before in our culture. So most people are de-churched. And so there's, act, there's actually about 4 billion people in the world out of the 8 billion that have never even heard the name Jesus. Never even heard that. But when I look at the, the de-churched, because oftentimes what happens is people have had an issue with a church and so they, they go to another church or maybe they go to another church and I was praying about this, thinking about this. Have you ever been praying about something, thinking about something? You're, you're trying to write down exactly what this looks like, and then all of a sudden you see something. Like, I wish I could have said it like that. Is anybody else like that? Just me? I want to show you a, a picture from John Tyson, the church of the city in New York. Um, now, I'll explain this in a second. Don't let it confuse you, but I, I just want to look at this picture for a second. Because as I was praying and as I was thinking about this, I realized that there are areas that we have to have in our discipleship. We have to have them. And we don't get to choose based on our personality. You know, we, we look at the gifts and we're like, that's my gift, but that ain't my gift. That's my gift, that's not my gift. But then we also look at the fruit of the spirit. It's like, love, I'll take it. Joy, I'll take it. Patience, not today, <laughs> right? And so what we do, though, is like, that's not my personality. That's not the way I'm wired. It's like, you didn't get a choice. <laughs> Jesus said that you should be more like him with whatever gifts you've been given, with whatever personality, with whatever. So sometimes we push back on these things or we fit into ourselves into a category that you were never meant to be put in. And so as we're looking at this, the top, and these are three things that I really do believe have to be part of your discipleship journey. The tangible presence of God. We need the presence of God in the church. We need the Holy Spirit in the church. Can't tell you how many people have come to our church and go like, wow, there's something, there's something happening here. There's something alive. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the presence of Jesus. And we hold that. We exalt his name above any other name, right? And then counterformation. There is a culture that is going in the wrong direction. We need counterformation in the church. We need counterformation in our own lives. That says to be renewed in our minds, to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, transformed. Sacrificial mission. We have got to be on mission for Jesus. We have to be on mission for Jesus. In fact, what he said was, the gospel is going to be preached to everybody, and then the end will come. He's like, it, it's coming. 
The end is coming. So what do you do? Stand up at the sky like the disciples were when he went up to heaven and the angels go, what are you doing? Go. He said, go. He said, be filled with the Holy Spirit, become his witnesses, and go. You know what a witness does? They tell about what they've experienced. But what happens is we start to read into these things based on our personality or how we've been brought up. Okay, now I told you I was brought up as Catholic and, and so, um, yeah, I met my father-in-law and he was weird. He's still weird. He goes to our church. He's a life group leader. Um, <laughs> but, but I'm telling you, when I met him, like I had really never met somebody who really like carried the presence of God before. I decided when my mom passed away, I said to Britt, I said, can, and Holly, I was like, can I go to your church? And Britt's like, What? Now, it's an Assemblies of God Pentecostal church. When I walked in for the first time, I saw people raising their hands. I go, what are they doing? She says, they're worshiping. I go, what's worship? She's like, well, and she tried to describe it to me. Then I heard somebody speak in tongues. And I laughed out loud. I'm not even joking. I was sitting there, and I literally heard it happen, and I go, oh, my gosh. I was like, what was that? She goes, Christ, Christ. I said, what, what was that? She goes, they, they were speaking in another tongue. Another what? And she goes, yeah, it's in the Bible. And I go, for real? And for the first time in my life, I opened up my Bible, a Bible, and read it, started reading it. It is in there. Huh. I had never experienced that before. And so I began to start to wrestle with the, these things. And, and too many of us, what happens, and a lot of times when people are de-churched or hurt by the church, the church in general has fallen into one of these categories and decided that's where they're going to put all their eggs in that basket. And, and we've been part of this. And, and so when I got saved, man, the tangible presence of God, it, it just... God fell and started doing things. In fact, when I, when I first spoke in tongues, it happened accidentally. I didn't even know it happened. I was up in a prayer room and we were praying and we left the room and my mother-in-law goes, Chris, you know what just happened? I said, no, what happened? She goes, you were speaking in tongues. I go, I was what? Because I wasn't trying to speak in tongues. I was going after the presence of Jesus. And, and so, but what happens sometimes and let's dig into this for a second. What happens sometimes is we jump into the, the hyper-spirituality. We're all about the presence of God. I don't care about anything else but the presence of God. And, and, and then all of a sudden, a lot of people, they jump out of that boat because it got weird. It got weird, okay? So, so all of a sudden, like, you, you came in, and then somebody smacked you in the head with a flag. That's happened to me. <laughs> That's distracting, but, and I'm not against flags or any of those kinds of things, but I'm just saying, like, and then all of a sudden, like, is it just that everybody has to fall down before it's a good service? And, and you begin to, like, see this, this hyper-spirituality that, that if we don't have tongues or interpretation of tongues, then God didn't show up. Is that what he said in his word? Oh, no, that's not what he said. And so what happens, though, is then all of a sudden we swing to another box. We go, I don't, I don't like that stuff. 
That, that's too much. So then we'll swing down to counterformation and we'll be like, no, I'm all about the Bible and what the Bible says and about like figuring out my own life. I want character, the fruit of the spirit. And, and, and that's all I'm worried about. Like, don't, don't give me that stuff. Like, don't make me go do things I don't want to do. <laughs> like, I, I just want Jesus and I just want him at my home and we become bunker believers. I'm just gonna sing Kumbaya with my family, with Jesus until he comes back. And we, we move over into a, a spiritual narcissism that it's, it's all about me and my personal spirituality. Or then you jump over to the sacrificial mission where all you do, your knee-jerk reaction, this is a good way to, descri to, to describe people that fall into that category, your knee-jerk reaction is do something. Do something. I gotta do something. It's like, no, no, you, you, calm down. It's gonna be okay. Like, but what that ends up happening and looking like is that we look like another government agency or another nonprofit and we're missing the presence of Jesus and the formation into his image. And so a lot of times when, when I see churches that kind of have kind of derailed or even persons, because what I'm talking about isn't a church, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you and your gifts and your personality, and these aren't multiple choice. It's and. We need all of these things in the church. And so when, when I got saved, man, I was like on fire for God. I was like doing, like, I wanted to be at every service, at everything that ever happened, every time the church was open, any time that there was like a spiritual encounter, like, I'm there. I need some of that, right? And so then what happened, though, is, is I shifted into this spiritual narcissism. I started studying for ministry and started opening up my Bible and reading it like crazy. And, and I began to realize, I would go to my wife, I'd go, honey, we don't line up. Our kids, they definitely don't line up. Our neighbors, whoo, right? And, and I start to look at it, but like, honey, we gotta do this, we gotta do this, we gotta do this, and legalism and a pharisaical spirit can begin to come in and take away what, what God wants to do through his presence and through his mission. And what was happening is I was digging so much into the scriptures and going like, we gotta be better, we gotta be better, we gotta be better. And all of a sudden my wife said, I don't want you studying for ministry anymore. And I said, why? I mean, this is so good. I mean, look, look. And she's like, because nobody's good enough for you. And oftentimes you can find if you're falling into that category that, that you begin to, to have a critical spirit. A critical spirit. There's never anything good. There's always something wrong. And, and, and we have to be very careful with that. But then what happened after that, and I'm just being honest, this is me. What happened after that is I swang over here. I was like, woo, look at that sacrificial mission. I was doing everything that was possible. I was in the evangelism team. I was on the, the worship team. I was helping out with youth. I was part of teams I didn't even know I was a part of. I just want to be part of them, right? I just want to do everything. And, and in fact, I was leading a men's workout group that was meeting three times a week. It was myself and like 12 to 14 young men. We would go out into the farmlands of... of um, uh, What's that area back there? Washington Borough. Yeah, thank you, Phil. Phil was there. <laughs> so we would, we would like carry around, like we'd carry around cinder blocks, cell phone poles. Now it looks like I ate a cinder block. But we would do all these things, right? And, and we would be, and so finally, and I was, I was traveling for work. 
I was working in physical therapy. I was doing that all the time. I was gone all the weekends. And finally, and I'm not even joking, my wife says, Chris, it's them or me. It's them or me. But I'm doing things for God. I'm doing things for Jesus. I'm, I'm doing all of these things. She's like, I, I know. And they're not bad things, but I was missing it. The reason why I share those things with you is I fall into those categories all the time. But my desire and the desire from scripture is that we would be compelling, missional disciples. Now, the tangible presence in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse one, he says, now about the gifts of the spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now, the original language there doesn't say gifts of the spirit. It says, and now about the spirituals. Now about the spirituals. Like now about all this spiritual stuff is what Paul is saying. And then he goes on to say, listen, there's all kinds of gifts, but the same God we forget why this was originally written. It wasn't written to give you a laundry list of the gifts. It was written to say, hey, I recognize all the spirituality, but what was happening is there was prophecy over here. There was tongues over there. It was straight up chaos in the church. And he's going like, hey, and, and they're like, but I'm a prophet and I'm a prophet and I follow Apollos. Well, I follow Paul. And this radical individualism was popping and f coming into the church. And he's going like, no, 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 Let's, this is about unity. For discipleship, you need each other. Don't, don't get out of whack. Don't get out of line and all these other things. But it also does say in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. That word manifestation means manifestation. There will be manifestations of the Spirit's power in the church. That may be awkward for you. But that's what a spirit-empowered church looks like. I was just with a, a national leader this week uh, talking about uh, James River Church, and he was saying that James River Church has had over 3,000 documented miracles within the last year. The sad part is that there are some people that are leaving because they're so focused on counterformation. It's like, I don't want that spiritual stuff. What's, what's more relevant than somebody coming down to the altar and God touching their life miraculously and them walking away healed? Talk about revel, being relevant in the church, right? The students yesterday, they don't want the lights and camera and the action. They need the presence of Jesus. That's what changes lives. And so like the, the, those things do happen Actually, Jeff Leak, who leads Allison Park Church, they've planted almost 100 churches out of their church. He said when he was growing up, sometimes when the gifts would happen, I would think, well, that didn't hurt too much. But as he grew older, he's like, is that the way it's supposed to feel? Somehow the gifts aren't relevant? And sometimes people will come to our church on a Sunday and they'll say like, like, but where are the gifts in operation? Where are the gifts in operation? Dr. Troy Jones said it so well. He said, well, you've only stepped into the living room. There's more rooms to the church. There's Wednesday. <laughs> there's Thursday with the youth. There's, there's so many other things that God's doing and it's not all happening in this building. 
I see people giving words of wisdom to people all the time in our church. People come to me with, with dreams that God's laid on their heart that I truly believe are from God. Like there, there's, there is the tangible presence, there is the presence of God and manifestations will happen. But there's also counterformation. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 and 2, he's describing a way of living. He says, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord... Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of Jesus. You know what that says? There were instructions on how you're supposed to live. Well, you don't tell me what to do. I'm all about God's presence. I'm all about doing stuff for Jesus. No, you were also instructed on how to live. Well, that's not my personality. I'm more like fly off the handle. No, that's not what it says. You were instructed on how to live. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. What this talks about is a demand for commitment. You know what? We don't like that. And I'll be honest, I mean, they've asked me to be a coach for my kid's soccer team. Who would be crazy enough to do that? But I was like... I was like, I, I can't, I can't, be, I can't be committed to that. But, but what we end up doing is like, we're not committed to anything. We just want to pick and choose like the, the buffet line of what we want. And we've started to do that in the church. But discipleship takes commitment and being with other people. Sacrificial mission. And uh, Patrick, you can come up here. But So that's why I feel like 1 Corinthians 13 is so important because he's looking at the church and he's talking about the spiritual gifts and he sees all these things are happening about the spirituals. I don't want you to be uninformed. He said, yes, there is manifestations of God's spirit that will be happening and there is a tangible presence to this, but there also is counterformation. But then in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, but if you don't have love, if you don't have love, you missed it. That word love is the agape love. It's, it's not like, oh, I feel really good about you. It's sacrificial love. It's sometimes doing things you don't want to do. And, and when it comes to, to sacrificial mission, and one thing I said to the leaders, I got a chance to talk to all the leaders in the district for the youth leaders yesterday. And as I was sharing that with them, I said, you know what actually is true in our youth group? Many of the more introverted students share Jesus more than the extroverted ones. And so, so what we do, though, is we put ourselves in a category. You don't get to choose on whether or not to live on mission for Jesus based on your personality. My wife is the first one to admit. She's like, I, I'm, I'm just not like very spiritual. I'm not a minister, you know, those kinds of things. We, we call people campus missionaries, right? A missionary, I get the picture like they're swimming down the Amazon trying not to get bit by piranhas. But perfect example was my wife. She was getting radiation this summer and she's sitting out in the lobby at radiation about to get, go back. And there's this lady sitting across from her with a scowl on her face and she looks at her and my wife just smiled and she goes, what are you smiling for? My wife was like, oh, um, well, she said, it's a beautiful day. Things, things are going pretty good. And she goes, but you're so young. What are you smiling for? 
and my wife started sharing her story and saying like, but you know, I've got faith and I've got a joy that just doesn't make sense. And she just kept saying, yeah, but what are you smiling for? So she's asking her that. So my wife comes home and she says, hey, this lady's name is Frances. She said, I, when Frances is done, um, when she gets to ring the bell, I want to take flowers in for her. And I said, yeah, that's awesome. Go ahead and do that. So she takes uh, flowers in for Frances. She hears her getting out of the room and the nurse is going, come ring the bell. She's like, I don't want to ring the bell. Come on, come on Frances. Like everybody, want, everybody rings the bell. I don't want to ring the bell. And they go, okay, Frances, somebody's here to see you. Nobody's here to see me. Nobody came here for me. And she rounded the corner and she's, she sees my wife smiling, holding flowers. And she just broke down crying. Now, was that being a missionary? Exactly. Exactly. We gotta break our paradigms of like, that our personality has to make us fit into some kind of category. You don't get to choose. We need the tangible presence of God. We need counterformation now more than ever in our society, and we need sacrificial mission, right? So she started to build a relationship with Francis from radiation. And I'll be honest with you guys, I'm an introvert. It may blow your minds, but this takes a lot of energy for me. <laughs> Any other introverts in the room, right? Like, I know you're here because you went like this earlier, but like youth convention, I about died. <laughs> but it doesn't, it doesn't give me a release from doing what God called me to do. I don't get to take my personality as an excuse to not be a disciple of Jesus. And this is a very personal application. This isn't just a church-wide thing. Now, my prayer is that our church would look like this, that we would be compelling missional disciples, that they wouldn't look at us and be like, they're just another government entity. They wouldn't look like, they're just crazy. <laughs> they, they wouldn't look at us like, they're just bunker believers. They don't care about other people. They just care about themselves. No, we need all of these things in our lives. And maybe you're sitting here today, and as I shared some of my stories, as I, as I ran these circles, because trust me, I'm always trying to find the middle. Maybe, maybe for you, that there's just something tugging on your heart, like, man, I, I gotta work on that. There's something I gotta do. Because I, I don't wanna just sit in my home while the world is on fire. I mean, we need to be praying for Israel. We need to be praying for people that are far from God. We need to pray for peace. We need, we need to be, a, be advocates for that. We need, we, need to, we need to give to speed the light. We need to give to missions. We need to, to give of ourselves. I remember this was so powerful. I went to a, a convention about speed the light, which is our youth giving. And, and the guy stood up and we're here like about to make, like say like, we're gonna give this much this year. And we're, we're about to do that. And he gets up, he goes, when I first went to Indonesia, it's the third largest populated country in the world. Billions of people. And we had six missionaries. Six missionaries. He goes, I don't want your money. Send people. Man, that tore my heart wide open. There are people that haven't heard the name of Jesus and here we are singing kumbaya on our four walls. I don't care if I'm an introvert. I gotta do something. 
but not at the expense of seeking the presence of God. And so I, I, could round, I could round these things all day long, but I'm just asking you personally, where, where are you in your journey of discipleship? Where, where do you need to allow God in where you've been making excuses for your personality or maybe your gifts or, or other things, your abilities, you know, your experiences? You don't need to use those as excuses anymore. Just follow the way of Jesus. Follow his Holy Spirit and be on mission for him. We need the missional tradition. We need the contemplative tradition. And we need the charismatic tradition to all come together. And I'll tell you, it won't always make sense. It won't always feel good. We've become creatures of comfort in America, haven't we? Discipleship is going to be a journey. But that's why we need one another. That's why we need one another. Because if we do this radical individualism thing where we are off doing our own little thing and you don't tell me what to do and I'm gonna do church the way I wanna do church, whatever, you wanna try to do that, that's not being a disciple of Jesus. And so I'm gonna ask you to stand today and I just wanna pray for you. And in a minute after we pray, I'm gonna put that signing day picture back up there. Johanna's on her way back to the table and, and uh, I'm not telling you to make a decision right now to join a life group, but I will say, please think about it. Please think about it because we, we need one another and we need to break out of this this uh, individual lives that we're, we're making and creating for ourselves to be better disciples of Jesus. And so I wanna pray for you. If there's something in your heart, if one of those categories, like, like man, that's, that's really where I'm at right now. If there's something that God needs to work in your heart, I encourage you to just lean into what he's doing and what he's saying. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this morning. God, we thank you for your tangible presence, Lord, that even from the moment that we opened up in worship, God, we came to worship you. We came to exalt your name above any other name, Lord, above any, any church, Lord, or uh, anything, God. Would your name be exalted? Would your presence, would your Holy Spirit be so heavy in our hearts, Lord? Would we seek, eagerly desire the gifts of your spirit, Lord? Your word says that. God, if there's any of us that haven't, haven't been seeking the gifts because we've seen them done inappropriately, Lord, or, or we just don't believe, God, your word says to eagerly desire the gifts, that there would be manifestations of your power in your church, that signs would follow those that believe. Lord, for those, Lord, that that are struggling with formation, Lord, that they've only been serving, 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 or they've been looking for your presence, but they haven't been formed on the inside of their character, Lord, into your image. Lord, I pray that the fruit of the Spirit would begin to become so evident in their lives that they would press into the areas of their lives where they're, they're maybe not looking like you, Jesus, and God, for, for the mission, Lord, we know that there is a lost and dying world out there that is in desperate need of the love of Jesus. God, help each and every one of us, not just us collectively as a church, God, but each and every one of us to be compelling missional disciples for your kingdom. 
And God, you will get all the glory. You will get all the praise. You will get all the exaltation, God. And we give you praise right now and glory here today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can we put our hands together one more time for the Lord this morning?